Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Unsigned Manager Podcast. My name is Siji Kolawole and each week I take a look at football's biggest stories, headlines and events from both the past and the present to see what's really going on. Somehow it feels like the Premier League season literally just finished but now it's restarting again on Friday. I want to take a quick look at all the clubs, evaluate their summer, look at the squad and see where I think everyone will end up this year. And this will probably end up being a two or three parter because I genuinely want to try and take a look at most of the league. But that's a lot of research and I don't think I can do that all in one episode. I'm not sure anyone's ready to hear a 45 hour Premier League podcast. So I'll probably end up splitting it into two or three but this episode 100% will focus on the top four. So with that, let's get into the episode. Alright, to be the man, you have to beat the man, so always you start with the champions. Manchester City won another Premier League title, 5th title in 10 years, 50% ratio for the last decade, easily the club of the decade, moving strong, can't stop them. They dominated the league as Liverpool, United and Chelsea all had big, big problems in the campaign, all in separate parts. City were the most consistent, they weren't always the best, they weren't always the best, especially at the beginning. But they were the most consistent, they rode out their problems the best. Obviously they lost the Champions League final to Chelsea, but winning another Premier League title, winning a Carling Cup and getting to a UCL final for the first time ever, that's a strong campaign. They managed to do good business this summer, re-signing Fernandinho for another season. For me, good decision, I like it. 36 years old, yeah, whatever, but adds a bit of steel in midfield that Rodri doesn't have. Good cover so Rodri doesn't have to play every minute. Smart player, tactical, he'll, he'll eat up a couple bookings if he needs to. Good signing. And they managed to extend Edison's existing four-year contract by another three years. So, keeping the best keeper in the league, arguably tied down for seven years. Good move. You can't be angry at that. Also, they literally, I mean literally, just signed John Stones to a five-year, 250k a week extension. So, he'll be a citizen till about... 2026 I'm not really fussed by this move I prefer Laporte as a player I'm not really in love with John Stones as a player but it's well documented how much Pepper struggled to buy defenders in his life so if signing Diaz has got the best out of John Stones and the two of them are looking like a strong partnership you might as well just keep them together Stones is 27 now so logistically he'll be at City till about 33 which is fine because especially for a centre back who doesn't rely too much on his athleticism so solid move Stones can ball play, he covers well, he partners well with Diaz, he might as well. Manager Pep Guardiola has been in Manchester for about five years now, winning 10 trophies and running up in the Champions League. So, that's not really a bad decade, I can't lie. As an Arsenal fan, I'd take that. As always, Champions League is the aim and City have again boosted their squad, but not in love with the signings. I like the extensions, I don't love the signings. They signed two players this summer. Scott Carson, uh, who'll probably be a third choice keeper, just not too important. And then they signed Jack Grealish, £100 million man, British transfer record. They also got rid of some players who could have been useful squad members like Angelino, who you can't tell me is not better than Benjamin Mendy. Jack Harrison for Leeds, a good player, and Lucas Nemecha, who could have been who could have played a role easily as a striker in small cup games giving players a rest. 
obviously the big loss at the club was the one we all knew about beforehand. City greatest ever player, Sergio Aguero left for Barcelona, but those other people, Angelino, Harrison and the Metro, all could have been good players. I don't know why they let them go. It was pre-announced that Aguero was going to leave and his last few years had been injury-ridden. Yeah, in fairness, his whole Premier League career has been injury-ridden. Actually, I remember watching... Sorry, quick side story. I remember watching a YouTube video on the most injured players in Premier League history. And basically, the idea was that who would have had a much better career if they didn't get injured? Who could have been a top-level player? If you think about Sergio Aguero's career, he's the fourth-highest goalscorer in Premier League history. He joined City at the start of the 11-12 season and he left just after the 2020-21 season. So he got 10 full years in the league. In those 10 years, Aguero played 275 games and scored 184 goals. That is insanity. But the guy missed a lot of games, you know. He missed 105 games in 10 years, which is equal to about two and a half seasons. So now, two and a half seasons at Sergio Aguero's goal scoring rate, which is about 18 goals a season, averaged out. That's a child's play. Basically, long story short, after I did all the mathematics, he could have become the second highest goal scorer in Premier League history pretty easy. He would have ended with about 220-something, which would have taken him above Rooney and just behind Shearer. So it goes to show how sad it is that he couldn't stay fit because... This guy obviously is a Premier League legend, but he could have really, really put his name up there if he'd managed to stay fit. And it also goes to show you how stupid Shearer's record is that Sergio Aguero would have had to play another two and a half years to come close to being second. And you'd have to be a football assassin to break 260. Shearer, he'll get his episodes. Anyway, I'm looking at Man City squad and I'm, I'm actually a bit underwhelmed. I'm not in love with it. I don't know why, because they're pretty much the same team as last year. Just take out Aguero, who barely played anyway. And then you add in the Premier League's second most creative player last season. It's not exactly a bad trade, but I think the issue... I think the issue's with me. I think the issue's with the way I see the game. And I haven't developed enough perspective or knowledge to understand past my current views. Because I'm just drawn to having a striker. And when I say a striker, I don't care about having a traditional nine or whatever. I mean like a focal point in your attack. The man, the man that's the end result of when your team gets forward. And there are teams who do it without a traditional nine, quote unquote. For example, Klopp's team from a couple of seasons ago, or the Klopp team even now, didn't play with a Shearer or a Van Nistelrooy type finisher in the middle. But it's fine because Mohamed Salah is their focal point. Even though he starts in wide areas, even though he beats people 1v1, even though he cuts inside. When that ball gets into the box, every Liverpool player is looking for Mohamed Salah. Which is why people like Mane and Firmino and even Henderson can get a few chances and get some extra goals because they get yards. Because the defence is focused around Salah, but that gravity we're talking about again. He draws in every person in the defence. So if you're Sadio Mane, yeah, you get to go 1v1 with an extra yard or two because everyone's focused on Salah and then Mane can get 22 like he did a couple of years ago. Another example, Kareem Benzema, one of the most unselfish and effective forwards of his era. Because even though he was a striker, he knew he wasn't the focal point. And he shifted, made space, made runs, was unselfish to let Ronaldo be Madrid's number one option. 
Benzema probably could have got a filthy amount of goals. Could have been looking Suarez in the eye for one of the best strikers of his generation. He could have got more acclaim. But no, he knew that his team's best chance lived and died with Ronaldo. So he made sure he did everything he could to get Ronaldo's space in the box with the ball. My issue with Man City is, and I know it's old school, but when the ball goes in the box, who is it going to? Mares, De Bruyne, Foden, Gundogan, Grealish, Sterling, Bernardo if he ever gets a minute. They're all heavily competent players and some of them top class, some of them world class. And I know I'm being old and backwards, but that to me seems like the greatest collection of players to pass the ball across the six yard box to a striker. I still want a number nine there to smash all the chances in the back of the net. And for anyone thinking, oh, what's he talking about? They've got Gabby Jesus. That guy is rubbish. I don't care what anyone says. He is not great. Okay. Obviously, I overdid it. He's not rubbish. But he's not 25 goals a season. He's like 12 and a few assists. Which is still cool, but Man City could do way better than that. I think a striker, a Erling Haaland, a Romelu Lukaku, uh, a Mauro Icardi could be phenomenal in a team like this. PSG have got Mbappe. Chelsea just signed the best striker in the world. Real Madrid have got Benzema. Bayern have got Lewandowski. Manchester City are a perennial contender and a serious club with serious resources. So it's definitely not a, oh, we couldn't find a striker, we couldn't afford one because they can afford anyone. Lautaro Martinez would have been absolutely perfect for them. And he's available. Because Inter Milan are the worst run club in the world since Barcelona last week. I understand scoring goals by committee. And I understand rather than having one focal point, have lots of players who are competent in all the areas so that you're never really too reliant on someone. And when you look at City last season, it worked out. They only scored 83 goals. Which in all five years that they've won the Premier League, that's the lowest goal tally. And to give you another stat, Ilkay Gundogan was City's top goalscorer last season with 17 goals in all comps. That is the lowest a top goalscorer for Manchester City has had since 2009. Rather than rely on one star striker for all the goals, it looks like it worked. Goals by committee, moving the chances around to everyone, having Gundogan become Frank Lampard and running into the box and not having a striker take up the space. But I don't love it. I, I think I think I liked it as a novel idea when Aguero wasn't fit, so you decide oh let me make the best of a bad situation. But I don't like this as a long term plan. And yeah, I know and know it worked out very well for them last season and they were pursuing Harry Kane, so it's not like they weren't trying to get a striker at all. It's not like they've lost their mind. I just think that this team would be ten out of ten more dangerous with a mobile, creative finisher up top. And there are players like that available. But I am being too negative. This is sometimes when a team is so good, you can only talk about the bad parts because this squad is a joke. Phenomenal. Some serious attacking firepower. They actually don't have that much pace. They don't have that much raw pace. And only Mares and sometimes Sterling will want to actually go 1v1 and rip people. But if you can get 10 goals from everyone, that list of players I mentioned. Mares, Foden, Sterling, etc. If you can get 10 from all of them, then it will be a difficult task in anywhere near City. Another year of Phil Foden's progression, who obviously is very friendly with new signing Jack Grealish. 
being able to keep Fernandinho around for another year, giving Diaz another year with Stones, see, you're pretty much set. Most of the squad is a good age, they don't really have to worry about that either. Their only issue, other than my thoughts on having a striker, are who has to leave soon. Because I doubt this many players can share all the game time. Laporte, Ake, Bernardo Silva, Joao Cancelo, Phil Foden, Ferran Torres. That is what, 6-7 players there who could probably go and start for anyone in the league. And for some of them, anyone in Europe. And they can all rightfully say they want 50 games a season. But there's no way Pep can give them that. He can't give them that much time. So you wonder who's going to be the first at the door. Obviously, it's been rumoured that Laporte and Silva are the closest. But then the beginning of the summer looked like Sterling was out on his way to Arsenal. Joao Cancelo, a couple of years ago, looked like he was going to be the man out the door. Kevin De Bruyne just turned 30. I don't know who's leaving. Next summer or January is going to have to be an exodus because either the wage bill is going to explode or the dressing room is going to explode because there's no way you can keep all these things under wraps at the same time. But essentially, essentially, City kept their core, added Jack Grealish, so what is there to worry about? You'd assume they'd play in a 4-3-3 with a normal back four of, so I'm thinking from left back to right back, Cancelo, Diaz, Stones, Walker, Rodri at defensive midfield, Gundogan and De Bruyne, and then Sterling, Grealish and Mares as a front three, and Sterling probably starts at nine, but everyone rotates in front of Rodri, so it doesn't really matter who's where. Gundogan does his Frank Lampard thing, De Bruyne starts steaming up the right wing, and then maybe Phil Foden is the first man off the bench, but to be honest, anyone could... Anyone could. The squad is utterly talented. You see what I mean? How how can that many people get minutes? I didn't even say Bernardo Silva's name. And this is a guy who 95% of Europe would love to have. But then why would they get? They can afford it. The Premier League isn't going to stop it. So roll on, man T. Alright, let's move into London. And not the fun half. Let's move into the boring blue half of London. Shout out to Chelsea. Solid window for them. Plain to see that new manager Thomas Tuchel added more defensive solidity after Lampard's lunacy was over. Tuchel switched up back three and he gave the centre-backs more cover straight away. Mount flourished, Kante looked strong again. Kante looked strong, like almost less than Kante strong. Defensively, they looked impregnable and this geezer is an FA Cup runner-up and a Champions League winner after spending six months at the club. And off, off the top of my dome... Di Matteo did that, but he had a much more experienced squad. He had old Lampard, old Drogba, old Ashley Cole. That's a bit different level of talent. And then Zidane, yeah, Zidane did it because he took over from Rafa Benitez in January. But even still, for Tuchel, that's an amazing achievement. He's like the Guardiola stopper, <laughs> beaten three times in six weeks at the back end of last season. And I'm a little bit of a Pep super fan, I can't lie. Not in a corny way like those guys who make stand accounts on Twitter, but generally his teams play the best looking football, so I'm down with that. But I'm actually glad that there's another super talented manager around, along with Klopp. I haven't got forgotten about him. Because that keeps people like Pep off balance, gets under their skin. So he has to continue to innovate, and no one here will end up playing Stones as a 9 this season after everything I just said, and Stones will score 25. 
But sticking with Chelsea, sticking with Chelsea, let's take a look at their transfer business. My bad, one more thing before I get into that. I always do this. I always say one thing and then try and jump into a quick story. There's still over two weeks left in the window. So it's likely that most of these clubs will do another deal. But this is just what's happened so far. This is what I'm looking at right now. So for Chelsea, Tammy Abraham's off to Roma. £40 million deal was basically done 95% over the line. And I'm happy Arsenal didn't end up going for Tammy since us and Wolves were heavily rumoured to be interested. But I thought Arsenal should use their limited budget to spend elsewhere, but but I'll get onto that nonsense club later. For Kyle Tomori, also left Chelsea to go to AC Milan on a permanent deal after last season's loan, and he only left for £25 million. And to be honest, this is a move I don't understand. Tomori's obviously a good player. By all accounts, he had a solid season at AC Milan. I have to admit, I didn't watch a lot of Serie A football this year, my bad, but from everything I've read, everything I've seen, no one had an issue with him. Perfect for a back three or a back two. Versatile, athletic, solid on the ball. Not amazing, solid on it. I don't really understand the sale. I get that Chelsea obviously heavily interested in severe defender Jules Koundé. Um, big time defensive interest. Almost like a response to Rafa Varane. Okay, you signed an athletic French centre-back, I'll raise you one. But especially with Thiago Silva growing older, it's good to have people come in. But unless Chelsea thought that AC were extremely overpaying for Tomori and they wanted to cash in ASAP, I don't really get why you wouldn't keep him. Then you could have Tomori, Kunde, Zuma, Christensen and Silva all as defensive options. That sounds like a strong defence to me. And yeah, I get it might be slightly undersized. In that scenario, what, Kunde's about 5'11", Tomori's just about 6 foot. But then you put Zuma or Silva in the middle of the back three, and that will completely solve that. Those two are both tall, both good in the air, that'd be fine. The other two, uh, Tomori and Kunde, are both good athletes, good burst, can get in front of the man, get in front of the striker, pinch the ball back. That'd be fine, and very young. I think they're both under 23 years old. I don't know why you wouldn't keep two promising defensive prospects at the same time. Why sell one for a cut price and then buy one for a serious money when you could have just kept one and bought the other one? Also can't forget about Malon Sarr, he's come back from loan this year. Another good French defensive prospect. How many French people are good at defending? I don't understand it. Sarr can play centre-back or left-back. He's a lefty, which everyone is looking for right now. left foot centre-backs are the order rave. He loves a long pass. This guy will pump it forward, you know. If you're a target man or your winger wants to get him behind Malong Sar is your best friend and he's a good athlete killer in a 1v1 if Tuchel had decided to keep Tomori Chelsea could have had a crazy defensive rotation with young athletic centre-backs all at once but I understand it probably would have been the same issue as Manchester City because all those players would have wanted minutes and it's worse because all these players are young and promising so big clubs would have snapped them up they would have been looking to move I understand the Tomori sale, and I get that if you wanted to use him to fund the Kunde buy. But if you don't get Kunde, then why sell Tomori? You get me that? Unless you unless you 100% sign yours Kunde, there's no point selling Tomori. And also, speaking of young players who want minutes, I want to examine this Tammy Abraham deal a little bit closer. So probably 18 months too late. Tammy's finally understood that he will have to leave Chelsea in search of becoming a starting number 9. In hindsight, although he's had a lot of bright spots at Chelsea, a lot of good times, 
and I lost a stupid bet to a friend of mine when I said that Tammy wouldn't score 12 goals and then he squeaked out 13 or something because of COVID. You got so lucky, Matt. Tammy should have kicked and screamed to stay at Aston Villa or forced that move through to Wolves when they were looking for him. He's a really good player, but he's not exactly ready yet. Now, he's definitely ready for the Premier League, don't get me wrong. Definitely ready for the Prem. And that his current level will probably get you between, what, 12 and 18 a season, which is fine. If you're a club, maybe a, a mid-table or lower half of the league club, like a Southampton or even a Newcastle, Tammy is great for you. He'll get you 12, 18, that's exactly what you need. Perfect, do the job. Chelsea aren't that club. Chelsea are looking for 22 minimum, probably looking more at 30, 31, 32 goals a season and being dominant at all times. And Tammy has not quite turned that corner yet. He's not Didier Drogba scary yet. He's not Diego Costa scary yet. So Roma is actually probably a good move for him because he can go and play in a slower league where his athleticism will stand out more and maybe a slightly lower standard will give him a chance to work on his weaknesses, chances that he would never get in the Prem. And he can probably string together a few good goal-scoring seasons. Also, if you're a striker who needs to work a bit on his aggressiveness and his dominating of defenders, Jose Mourinho is the guy for that because all this guy wants is big target men strikers. If you take a look at Tammy's Premier League years, the goal-scoring has been super inconsistent. 17-18, he's out on loan at Swansea and he makes that big breakthrough. Everyone's like, ooh, who's this guy? But he actually only scores 5-31. and 31. Yeah, it's cool. He's about, what, 18, 19? So you can't hate on him, but 5-31. and 31. Next season, he's at Aston Villa where he's outstanding. But that was actually a championship year and they got promoted to the champ, but different kettle of fish. Next season was 1920 when the COVID season happened, when the COVID shut halfway through the season. And that's easily Tammy's best year. He scored 15 goals in 34 games. Okay, my bad, Matt. I said 30, no, I meant 15. And I still believe that if COVID didn't happen and everyone wouldn't have got that few months break to recover from injury, Tammy would not have got over 12. But he gets 15 that year, but then last season he gets six goals in 22 games in the Prem. And for a lower-level Premier League club, they'd probably be satisfied with that production. Newcastle crying out for that because Joel Linton is not getting it done. Especially since Tammy's size means he could have be he could be like a real good knock-on striker or a decoy. So if you're a smaller pair like an Almiron, you can get right in behind Tammy everywhere. He goes, follow him, ball spills off him, boom, you get chances. But for Chelsea, this just isn't enough. Okay, so Inter Milan are in a tight race with Barcelona to see who can be crowned the worst run club in the world right now. It's pretty neck and neck, to be honest. Messi's just been signed and announced as a PSG player and somehow Barcelona let the greatest player of all time leave because of poor signings and being so bad with money. But being bad with money is like an Inter Milan special. Essentially, through loads of poor deals and other things I covered in episode 4, go check that one out. Inter Milan are so broke they need to sell everyone and reboot. Four months ago, they were lifting their first title in a decade, but now there isn't any way for them to keep the whole squad together. And their world class manager said, I'm not staying for this rebuild, and he's out. And while this is bad for Inter Milan fans, this is amazing for Premier League fans. Amazing. In my opinion, and I say that again, my opinion, don't question it, keep your comments to yourself, I don't care. The best striker in the world is coming to the Premier League. 
Romelu Lukaku is fast approaching becoming my favourite football player of all time. If someone was to say to me, Ronaldinho or Lukaku or Henri or Lukaku, yeah, I know who the better player is, but who do I enjoy watching more? I don't know. But anyway, this is how the carousel worked. Inter Milan flat broke, so they need to sell all their best assets. So best asset in Romelu Lukaku goes at the door to Chelsea for a club record 97.3 million. And the best version of Lukaku is worth every penny of this, 100%. Inter then need to replace a Lukaku-sized hole with a cheaper striker to recruit some money to help with their debt problem. So in comes 35-year-old Roma striker Edin Dzeko for about 2 million. So then that massive Edin Dzeko-sized hole he left at Roma... I mean that figuratively and literally. He is one of Roma's best strikers, probably in the club history. And he's also a massive bloke. And that hole was filled by equally massive bloke, Tammy Abraham, who can now work under a manager who was at Chelsea while Tammy was an academy player. Isn't it nice and everything wraps up in a neat little bow like that? If you're a Premier League back four, and your manager on, on the tactics board for that week is putting up Timo Werner, Romelu Lukaku, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz, you are going to have a tough day. Werner and Lukaku, they like to take up wide spaces, use a lot of off-the-ball movement, drift wide, run in behind, make space for other people. Killer. Mason Mount is going to relentlessly press you to death and in the final third, he's becoming more and more effective as a passer and a dribbler. And then Kai Havertz is dropping into all the gaps. Make a space, he's in it. Yeah, you make that run so I can take that spot. You're going to have a tough day. I assume Tuchel's going to play a 3-4-3 with Lukaku probably playing at 9. Oh, like, and if you don't know what I mean by 9, I mean as the central striker. And he's probably thinking Lukaku drifts out wide right, Werner drifts out wide left, and then Havertz or Mount fills in the gaps. That makes sense to me. That makes sense in a football sense, and it's very balanced and functional, and you get everything you need. You get creativity, finishing, off-the-ball movement from all that. However, if Tuchel tweaked it slightly and played 3-4-1-2 instead, played a traditional number 10, and Vernon Lukaku's a front two, oh my goodness, the Premier League's in trouble. I know as far as the system goes, it's not too radical from Tuchel's normal style. It's a small, small tweak. But playing a front two rather than a front three gets the best out of both of his strikers. Think back. Peak RB Leipzig Timo Werner played next to a physical striker who attracted the attention of the defence because of his size and gave Werner space to run into. Peak into Milan Lukaku played next to a smaller hard-working striker who pressed hard and had good off-the-ball runs that Lukaku could find with his improved passing and vision. It just seems like a no-brainer that Tuchel should go with a front two old-school style just set the league on fire. To be honest, I don't really have any negative opinions on Chelsea this year. I think another centre-back coming in could be a good shout, especially with Aspie's pace declining and Thiago Silva getting any younger. And Ewell's Kunde would probably come in and take them over the top. And I have literally just realised I forgot all about Antonio Rudiger. <laughs> so I take all that back. Chelsea have no centre-back problems. I thought they were lighter in defence than they were because somehow Rudiger, the maddest man in the league, slipped my mind. But between him, Zuma, Christensen... Silver, Aspilicueta, 
Reese James, if you were to sign Kunde, that would properly take you over the top. But not imperative. Completely forgot about Rudiger. I hope they keep Bakayoko and don't sell him on. I really do like Bakayoko. I thought he was a good player. I think him and Kante or him next to Kovacic could be a fun midfield. But all in all, whether they keep him or not, Chelsea are solid contenders for the league. The squad's a little bit bloated, just like City's. But when you're playing in multiple competitions and... This year, I think you're allowed nine people on the subs bench. I doubt you'll want to offload people like Batshuayi and Ross Barkley. They just give all your stars rest. They can play them in small cup games. And I'll probably definitely be buying a Chelsea Lukaku shirt, irrelevant to the fact that I'm an Arsenal fan. But, but all in all, Chelsea got no serious problems and they look like a top-of-the-league contender. All right, so next up, arguably smashing the window out of the park. Winner of the transfer window. That pains to say Manchester United. In case you don't know, last year's Manchester United are like a jigsaw puzzle. They're missing a couple pieces and you can kind of tell what the picture should be, but it's not quite right. They struggled at centre-back because Maguire and Lindelof just are not a good centre-back pair and they bring out the worst in each other. They struggled at right wing and just put anyone there because Martial got hurt and they even moved Pogba out there for a while Dan James isn't at the level while Matters too old it's not great and they were built like a donut because at times they had no central midfield it didn't feel like there was an adult playing in the middle of the park so before the window everyone knew Manchester United had three key areas they needed to work on centre back defensive midfield and right midfield and I think they addressed almost all their problems in one window. First key piece of business happened very, very early, re-signing Edinson Cavani for another year. He obviously wasn't well-liked by United fans at the beginning when he first got signed because the club weren't really looking for him. And do you remember that end of that window where they were looking at Usman Dembele for a couple minutes and then Cavani and then Sancho? And no one knew what the plan was. He didn't get very many minutes at the start of his United career, but fixture congestion and an injury to Anthony Martial gave Cavani all the minutes he needed to show he isn't some small-time striker. This is a serious guy. He ended up with 17 goals and 7 assists at the end of the year, and he represented that focal point, that presence up front, that team's attack can get built around. Resigning Cavani's gone under the radar around United fans because of the subsequent moves, but you guys should be really, really glad that he's your striker rather than having to rely on the most consistently inconsistent player in the world in Anthony Martial. A football game has got 22 people moving at all time in it. So it can be difficult to constantly watch everything that's happening and track everyone and keep focused. But 100% more than anyone else, I forget Anthony Martial was on the pitch. I have literally forgotten he was playing for long stretches, which is something you don't, say much about other quote-unquote top strikers having Cavani there instead of him that's a that's a good move for for Solskjaer then they finally put an end to the longest running transfer saga in recent history and got Jane Sancho for 73 million pounds good on United as it takes a lot of humility to recover from the public battering they got after the athletic reveals how poorly their last attempt at Sancho went they they haggled over the price for months and months and thought the later the window went, the more likely Dortmund were to sell. Then they got embarrassed and all their fans. Turned on, but, and they finally got the deal done now. 
They talk Dortmund down from 90 mil to 73 mil this summer. And for a player who definitely hasn't taken a drop, his form isn't poor, he's very young. Credit where credit is due, United did a good thing there. We all know what Sancho is going to bring to the league. Great 1v1, he'll make a barrel of chances. He beats defenders and he makes smart decisions in the final third. No disrespect to the guy, but Sancho isn't like some St. Maximan guy where he'll just keep taking people on, taking people on, and he doesn't know when to actually release it. Sancho will will beat that first man and then make the pass. So if you're Cavani, Rashford, Martial, Bruno, you're going to love this guy in the final third because he will make the correct decision. He won't overdo it. Of course, every every bad touch or every bad pass he makes will get posted online and retweeted a trillion times saying United were idiots for, for paying 73 mil, but... Barring any serious injury, this is going to be a steal. And then they did it again. Somehow, this worst run club in the world race is actually turned into a three-man sprint. Because Real Madrid are knocking on the door too. Manchester United were able to sign Rafa Varane for £36 million. This is because Madrid signed Alaba for free. Meaning that because they didn't pay any transfer for him, shout out to Mark Bosman, Alaba was able to ask for 400000 a week. Jesus. So to balance the book and try and get rid of a reported €900 million Euros worth of debt, Madrid have to cash in everything they can so they manage to sell Varane. We all know this money is going towards signing Kylian Mbappe and I wouldn't be surprised if they mortgaged their entire summer to sign Mbappe now. They, they let Sergio Ramos and Rafa Varane go in the same window. Talk about squad building. Anyway, it's well known that Varane was going to leave because he kept rejecting wealthy contract after wealthy contract offer. So it became clear that he wanted to leave Madrid for a new challenge. And bringing him to Manchester is a stroke of genius. Varane next to Maguire is probably the complete centre-back partnership. They absolutely complement each other. You know how everyone said that Varane isn't a great leader and he needs someone to lead him? Maguire solves that. You know how everyone says that Maguire isn't quick and he needs a mobile defender to cover his lack of pace? Varane solves that. You know how strikers go and stand on Lindelof because he lacks size and strength? Yeah, six foot three Varane and six foot four Maguire, they solve that. That's a complete centre back pairing. Maguire and Lindelof are like a couple in a bad relationship. They just bring out the worst in each other. So toxic. But next to pace and athleticism, Maguire's going to show all his key points as a defender. And Wan-Bissaka is probably their crime of happiness because he now knows he doesn't have to constantly tuck in and leave the back post because Lindelof is too slow or too weak or not concentrating on what's happening behind him. If you remember the, the Leipzig second leg, that was just one of a thousand examples where Wan-Bissaka had to tuck in and cover for his centre-back and then it ended up getting exposed when the team overhit the cross to exploit the space behind him. Wan-Bissaka is probably thinking, all these goals look like my fault, but I'm only in this position because Maguire and Lindelof don't know what they're doing. Another key move for Manchester United was Lionel Messi signing for PSG. I know that sounds weird, but I think it's because even a club with deep pockets and a creative imagination of defensive cover like PSG can't consider buying Paul Pogba this summer which is going to be music to Manchester United's ears he's a phenomenal player, we all know this 
Although sometimes his capabilities are higher than his reality, when he's fully locked in, he is a different gravy player. Now, normally I hate that. I hate players who you have to, if he's locked in or if you put him next to him, I don't like that. And this is a guy in Paul Pogba, I always said that I would pick Jordan Henderson over him. But the guy we saw at the Euros, the guy we saw at the World Cup, and the guy we actually saw for the majority of last season, that's the central midfielder built from a lab. Six goals and nine assists in all comps, but his performances are even higher than that. For a central midfield player, they're not mad at that, but his performance is way better than that. And he actually managed to find that balance next to Bruno perfectly. That's something I was mostly, mostly sceptical of. I didn't know how Solskjaer was going to get a midfield with Bruno and Pogba at the same time and not be an absolute turnstile on defence. But they managed to get the job done. Credit to Solskjaer. Big credit to Solskjaer. Because it either takes a lot of skill or a lot of miracles for him not to be sacked at this point and be able to stay the ship at Manchester United with not that much experience. The only existing chink in the armour in this squad, they're still built like a donut. There is a hole in the middle of the pitch. They need a defensive midfield player. And I don't know how this recruitment staff doesn't see what Pogba does for France and then wonder what would happen if they signed an energetic defensive midfield player. Go and pay the money for Ndidi. Put Pogba next to Zakaria. Just put any midfield player who can run and tackle to a high level and that's it, Paul Pogba unlocked. I don't hate Fred. Fred is is that, really. A player who runs a lot and tackles a lot. But he's not at that level. He's not at Man United level. If Fred was doing busy work for Arsenal, it'd make sense to me. If he was doing busy work for an Everton or Idrissa Gay levels, that's what you're looking at. But he's not the man that should be doing the dirty work next to Pogba and Bruno. Imagine like, I know he's not an offensive midfield player, but imagine like a Freddy Valverde at Real Madrid in that spot instead. Just someone who runs hard, presses hard, can tackle and is competent on the ball. Behind those who that turns into a real midfield. Man United have signed two players and they've become infinitely stronger. Much improved over last year. But I don't think they'll get any further than last year unless they sign a defensive midfield player. I don't think having Fred and McTominay will be good enough to make them real challengers against City and Chelsea and Liverpool. I don't think Man United will do big numbers in the Champions League without having someone to cover a Neymar or a Modric or a insert creative midfield player here. I think they need another man. But if they manage to get that done as well, this is a this is a title contending squad. I feel like the title race is open this year. I feel like people people say that every year. But this year I can see I can see the world where City do it and they just create so many chances a game that you can't help but lose 4-0. I can see where Chelsea do it where they defensively system and attackingly press and Lukaku gets 25 or 30 and Werner chips in with 16 or 17 and, and they do it. I can see Man United with this sign of defensive midfield being absolutely blistering on the counter again. Having a defensive midfielder cover means Pogba can go be more creative. And the fullbacks can get a bit higher because Varane's there. And I can see Liverpool, who are my title favourite, just getting healthy and fit and putting everyone to the sword. 
Liverpool basically have kept the same squad. But they've got new signings, really, because everyone's got good fitness. Van Dijk is back. Joe Gomez is back. Henderson is back. Trent is back. Matip is back. Fabinho is back. Basically, if you play for Liverpool, your health is at 100%. Other than Andrew Robertson, who just got clamped. To be honest, pre-season seems like a write-off for players. Imagine trying to get ready for a new season after the most fixture congestion season you've had in how many years and you get clamped in a pre-season game. But to be honest, Liverpool, my nailed-on favourites. Those are my team. That's my team for the year. they got a serious manager. Mohamed Salah, who might be the best player in the league, besides Romelu Lukaku, obviously. Their midfield is going to be back to full strength. They managed to sign another top defensive prospect in Ibrahim Okonate. Where's the holes in this squad? Konate six foot four, man mountain, built like a shed. Next to six foot four, man mountain, Virgil van Dijk, built like a shed. Behind six foot three, man mountain, Fabinho, built like a shed. That's a defensive triangle right there. If you're a striker or attacking midfield player and you've got to play in that spot, good luck to you. I think Konate will be the starter. I think I would pair him next to Van Dijk. I think Gomez is cool, but Konate's the the bigger defensive prospect. Konate uh, plays on the left-hand side of the defence, but he is right-footed. So if Van Dijk wanted to move over to the right-hand side and play that long pass from right to left over to Mane, he can do. If he wants to stay on his side and Konate is going to be on the right-hand side of the centre-back pairing on his right foot, that's fine by him. He can he loves the pass. He can move the ball forward. Between them, that's a serious centre-back partnership. Funny enough, actually, the person Konate got compared to the most before he moved to Liverpool was Virgil van Dijk, a young van Dijk. Because he's an amazing athlete. He's great in the air. He's good on the ball. Slightly raw. But give this guy the training that any centre-back in the world would want to have playing next to Virgil van Dijk and that's a player you've got right there. Put him next to a fully fit Trent Alexander-Arnold who at the end of last season was firing. If if you're a guy who didn't want Trent to go to the Euros, um, I don't know what's up with your mind. The guy's a different level of a right-back and him and Kanate and Robertson and van Dijk you can't really stop that. And I'm not even talking about Alisson who's in goal. An issue Liverpool could have worked on this summer probably would have been the time to sign a striker. Imagine if they would have been the people to get Lukaku, especially this new creative Lukaku and have Salah be the number one goal scorer. Lukaku can still chip in with 20-something. But to be honest, you could fit Lukaku in anywhere because he's the best striker in the world. I'm not sure if Liverpool just don't want to spend because they want to recoup their money. But... I would have sold Firmino two years ago when his price was sky high. The year they won the league, I would have got rid of Firmino. Because now, there isn't anywhere, not that there isn't anywhere for him to go, but there isn't anywhere for him to go of sufficient value. So you might as well just keep him until he's non-effective. But by that time, you'll have to fully replace the whole front three because of age. I'm a bit confused as to why they haven't broken them up yet. Because to replace all three of them at the same time because of their age, because they're all... I think literally the same age. It just seems like an unnecessary hurdle. The one you can keep the longest will be Salah because he's the best goal scorer and goal scoring is is the hardest skill in football so it's probably more likely he can still transition as a player but 
If it was me, I would have got rid of the front three by now. I think if you would have done one replacement every 18 months would have been much better than having to do all three at the same time. And I know, I know, I know I probably would be thinking about this differently if Jota hadn't got injured. Because then it would have been more consistent in my mind that Firmino is replaced by Jota. You get me? When you sign someone new, but then because of injury, he can't play a lot. Like in my mind, Thomas Partey hasn't replaced anyone in Arsenal's midfield consistently. He hasn't played enough where my like Thomas Partey's the starter in my mind. Jota might have been that guy last year, and then maybe Mane gets replaced in 18 months and Salah after that. But there probably is just enough creative talent in that team to be effective. Obviously, I've gone through the defence. I like the balance in the midfield. Fabino's a rock. He, imagine if United had him. Lord help. Thiago had a good season. I don't care what anyone says. If you only watch that guy for four games a season at Bayern Munich, of course you're going to have unrealistic expectations. And then the first game he has for Liverpool, Chelsea have got 10 men. Thiago is he's got the entire game to dominate. He can do whatever he wants. But for a normal Premier League debut season, for a five foot seven central midfield player, he bedded in well. And if he played, if Fabinho had been there all year, Liverpool been, been, been a bit more solid in defence, you would have really seen the best Thiago. I think now this year, everyone's getting a bit healthy. He's got another year in the league, you can understand. I feel like he'll be more than fine. He can do the 50-50 defending and attacking. He doesn't have to be the defensive midfield player. He doesn't have to be the number 10. He can just chill as an 8 and swing the ball around all over the place. Henderson will be back fit. Curtis Jones maturing again for another year. I will say an attacking midfield player wouldn't have been too bad, but if Jota plays in there or Firmino plays in there and Jota plays at nine, I'm not too scared about creativity. Whichever way he wanna works that, it's not a problem. Carvey Elliott, 18 years old, is also coming in now back off loan. So he's a creative wide man or a number 10. He'll probably take the pressure off the front three in smaller games. So give them less minutes and they can just relax for big games. What Klopp will need to rely on is Sadio Mane to not do his Andros Townsend impersonation again and actually be that baller we all know he can be. Mane got 11-8 and eight in the league last year, which obviously isn't bad. But for a man like Sadio, a 15-20 to 20 goal season wide man, he needs to be putting up bigger numbers than that. But as long as they stay healthy, it's not really any problems for Liverpool. I'm still backing them for the league unless Lukaku scores 35, which is possible because he's the best striker in the world. But I don't think any team in the league can keep pace with Liverpool if they remain fully fit. And I think managerially, of course, it's tight between Pep and Klopp. Tuchel, you have to put there because he's a Champions League winner now. It's tight, but that full-strength Liverpool to me is scarier than full-strength anyone else. So they're my favourites for the year. And quickly before I wrap up, Barcelona are a shocking club. And they should be heavily, heavily punished for allowed, allowing Messi to go like this. It's, it's some of the worst business I've ever seen a club do. Usman Dembele should have been sold ages ago. Should have cashed in. Felipe Coutinho should have been sold ages ago. Samuel Titi still being at the club is a farce. And then having to sell young players to play the wages of the players that they have now is terrible. And now you've got Aguero, Depay and the other two signings who can't even get registered because they're still not under the cap even though Messi's left. 
the effects that poor decisions can have on a club is so damning. When you look at Barca, when you look at Inter, when you look at Real Madrid, you think, how has someone allowed this to get so bad? And I think PSG are going to have a bit more of a problem on their hands than they think siding Messi because I wouldn't be surprised if Mbappe said he wanted out. This is a guy who is waiting for Neymar to leave so he can become the man. He's the best young player in the world. 100% of all clubs in the world would have him. He's waiting for Messi and Ronaldo to retire and Neymar to leave. And then Messi comes to join him. And Messi and Neymar are like best friends. So he's not, he hasn't got the power he wants at the club. I wouldn't be surprised if he said, I'm out now. Madrid, come and get me. You'll keep an eye on that one. There's a couple of weeks left in the transfer window. Keep an eye on that one. But in the Premier League, I think my top four will look like this. I think Liverpool will finish top. Chelsea second. Manchester City third and Manchester United fourth. I will go through the rest of the league. Um, I just can't do it all in one episode. No one wants to hear 45 hours of me talk about West Ham's problems at left back or Southampton's issues at number nine. Now they saw Danny Ings, but I will try and make my way through every team this year. Uh, Next episode, I think I'm going to do Arsenal, Tottenham, Leicester and Aston Villa off the top of my head. Those will be the four, but thank you guys for listening to the podcast really appreciate it really appreciate all the support all the listens all the follows all the shares all that stuff if there's any teams in particular you want me to talk about please let me know if if i've said something today that you think is stupid please let me know and i'll tell you where you're wrong if you want to come at me for any romelu lukaku slander please keep it to yourself and then go and watch his highlights and tell me he's not the best striker in the world but thanks very much guys i'll see you next week and Happy Premier League Day on Friday. Peace.